a message from Trinity Grace Church in San Antonio, Texas. For more information, please visit trinitygracesa.org. Well, this morning we have uh, the opportunity to welcome a friend of our congregation, uh, a minister in our denomination. He's a chaplain in the army, Britton Price. Uh, You have... uh, known Britain over the past few months. He's been here to preach for us before. Britain and his family are about to move to South Korea. They're being restationed there. They'll be moving in the middle of this summer. And so this is our last chance to have Britain among us for uh, a little while. And we're honored to have him. As you know, we are in a series on Romans chapter 8. We're going to continue on in that series next week, picking it back up. But this week, Britain has chosen a psalm to encourage us with, Psalm 133. And so, Britain, why don't you come on forward uh, and give us God's word. So glad that you could be with us uh, one final time before your family transitions away from Texas, which is a sad thing. Yeah. (laughs) So, Patrick, I understand what it means to move. (laughs) Very much so. Well, good morning, everyone. It is good to, to be with you. Uh, they say in, uh, in sports, um, you know, when uh, Tom Brady's coming back, so we want to run it back one more time. So if we're going to run, run this back one more time, uh, would you please stand for the reading of God's holy word? As Michael mentioned, we're going to come from the, uh, from the book of Psalms this morning, Psalm 133. Uh, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Please follow along with whatever you have with you. This is a song of ascent of David. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there, the Lord has commanded, his, has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we, your people, are here gathered today, gathered around um, not our affinity for barbecue, not our affinity for uh, the state of Texas, not our affinity for anything, but for you, for you have called us to gather. And so, Lord, as we wrestle with your word, as it teaches us what true unity is, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, for you are our strength and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, after an off-season of labor and stability, we finally actually got a baseball season this year. Uh, One of the things I enjoy about baseball is there's no clock. Uh, so the game is not time-based, it's event-based, right? First team to have the, have the lead when they get their, uh, their, their opponent out 27 times wins. Uh, and while home runs and hits uh, may look to be individual effort, uh, oftentimes, unbr- you know, kind of the, what we don't see uh, is that they are part of a larger uh, strategic uh, movement for the team. Now, I love sports, and baseball is one uh, that you can kind of kind of come in and out of the season because of the length of the season. So in April, hope springs eternal for all 30 teams. By the time you get to Memorial Day, which is coming up, that hope has been dampened for many of them. And I'm a Red Sox fan. They're under 500, and I am not pleased. Uh, but I typically will tune out, and then I'll come back in around the All-Star break, and then come back in in September to see uh, if, you know, how my team is doing. I mention all this about baseball because it applies to our text uh, or relates to our text in this way. 
you know, and all, on defense, all nine players have to work together uh, for one goal, which is to get that out. A good 6-4-3 double play, I'm not going to take time to explain that, but those that know, know, right, uh, is a great example of working in unison, a great example of what unity looks like for baseball. And Psalm 133 today is about unity, specifically about how God, when God's people dwell in unity. In 1979, the Pittsburgh Pirates, led by the likes of Bill Madlock, Willie Stargell, and Dave Parker, uh, adopted the song by Sister Sledge, We Are Family. Uh, now, I, don't, I was not a big fan of disco. That's before my time. Some of you older saints in here, you may, to your own shame, be like, oh, yeah, I kind of like that song, all right? It is a very catchy tune. And when you talk to those who are, on, who are on that team and articles written about that team, they talk about how that captured the spirit of that team. So much so that they overcame a 3-1 series deficit in the World Series to come back and beat the Baltimore Orioles in seven games. We are family. Our world is one that is marked by disunity. That should not surprise any of you. Doesn't matter which side of the aisle you are on, on whatever the issue is that is being discussed, we live in a time of disunity. Uh, Disunity in society is always going to happen, and that is bad. But unfortunately, uh, what grabs my heart uh, is when you see disunity in the church. Uh, when the witness of the church is uh, threatened because of disunity within the body. Uh, Because as the bride of Christ, the church is to be unified. Uh, And the church can show our society what true unity can look like. And so I think there's a few things from this very short uh, text that we can pull about what true unity uh, is. Is that unity uh, is one, it's pleasant. True unity is pleasant. Uh, True unity refreshes. It's pleasant, it refreshes, and finally, true unity, it blesses. It's pleasant, it refreshes, and it blesses. But first, let's look at how it is pleasant. David states in his, the- his thesis in verse one, when it says, behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Now, it's not just brothers, it's brothers and sisters, all right? It's just the way the Hebrew is written. And so how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity, The word for good uh, means that it is suitable for its intended purpose. That's what it is for, and it is operating that way. What David is saying is that God wants us to be unified, and God is most glorified when we are unified, when unity is present. It's attractional, like a pleasing aroma. I remember when I was a child, uh, we would go to the mall, and that's something we did back in the, in the 80s and 90s is you go to a mall. And so we would, this one particular mall we would go to as we were coming up, and it kind of had some stairs that you would go down. And I always liked this part because KB Toys was right there at the side, and then Foot Locker was right beside it, all right? And so, but there was this coffee shop that was like right there on the corner, and the aroma would just come out of just this, and this is before I even drank coffee. I mean, I was knee high to a grasshopper at this point, but it, it, was, it was such pleasing. It was attractional to where you wanted to go in. If coffee's not your thing, then think about when you smell barbecue. There's a, there's a guy in my neighborhood that smokes meat and he has this huge smoker right outside his house. And so when I'm walking the dog and I'm working out, there's this like, it, it creates this hunger in you because he's smoking some brisket. It's attractional. You want to be in there. You want to be with it. You want to like make friends with this guy so you can get some of that brisket. I know I'm not the only one in here. You can smile and chuckle. We all do that, right? 
When somebody fires up the grill, you're like, hey, Bob, listen, uh, what are you doing this afternoon, right? And you want to come in. That's what it does. It's attractional. And that's what unity does for us, does for the world in the church. It's a pleasing aroma. This is what David had in mind for his first simile for unity. He uses the oil that was used in anointing Aaron and the Levitical priesthood for their task. In Exodus 30, 22 uh, through 33, God gives Moses instructions for the oil that is to be used on Aaron and his descendants. The oil was not to be copied or used for any other purpose. Why? Because it was a holy oil set apart for a holy purpose. And when you look at the ingredients, it would have smelled pleasant, liquid myrrh, sweet-smelling cinnamon. Uh, the Bible is telling us it's not just cinnamon, it's sweet-smelling cinnamon, an aromatic cane. So not ordinary cane, but some aromatic cane. And finally, a little olive oil, a little E-V-O-O, if you're a fan of Rachel Ray. This psalm is referring to the relationship uh, amongst believers. And as, as such, it is essentially saying that unity doesn't happen apart from God. In light of the empty tomb that we just celebrated last month, true unity doesn't happen apart from Christ. So why does David equate the goodness of unity of oil running down on the Levitical priesthood, running down on the beard of Aaron? To be honest, as a parent, when I read that statement, it sounds like a mess and it stresses me out, right? Like when my kids grab Play-Doh or when my kids are handling slime, all my parents in here understand. It sounds like a mess, but that is the point. The mess is the point. The oil covers the head. It runs down on the robes. It's messy. And it means that this priest is able to sympathize with the people and intercede on their behalf before the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies, in the temple to offer sacrifice for sins. It doesn't matter what tribe they were from. This is Psalm 133. It comes in that section of the Psalter called the Songs of Ascent, the Psalms of Ascent that would have been sung as the congregation of Israel would have been making their way up to Jerusalem. These are, this would have been their cadence. And as a military man, I love some good cadence where you can march and you can walk and it keeps your mind off of things. How much greater then for the people of God making their way to Jerusalem to sing the songs of Zion as they're making their way there. No matter where they were coming from, from all walks of life, the people in Judah would have been making their way to the temple and they would have seen the Danites and they'd be like, hey, yo, there's the Danites and the Reubenites are over there. The Simeonites, hey, we see you. Everybody coming together. Family. We are family. We are the people of God. And this psalm is calling us to be the people of God, to be unified. They would have sang these songs making their way to Jerusalem, whether for the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, or the Feast of Weeks. People coming from various places, they would have sung this together as they walked. This is why the unity is pleasing. But it's not only pleasing, it's also refreshing. David moves on to give another example. He compares believers being in unity to the dew of Hermon. You see it right there. It says, like the dew in verse three, like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. The dew, uh, Mount Hermon was a mountain in northern Israel and that area was known for heavy precipitation. And so if you get a lot of precipitation on the mountains, it flows down. And so all of that ground surrounding that mountain was lush. 
So even though it was, an, it was a very arid climate, that area would have been well watered and would have had a lot of green. It would have a lot of pleasant things to see because it would have gotten that source of water to continually feed life. And David is saying that unity is like that. Lush green grass surrounded by a majestic mountain like the dew to the area around it, it's refreshing. The surrounding area never lacks for the moisture to sustain life. Again, for David and his fellow Israelites, worship of the one true God sustains life, and it is the same for us. The reason that it sustains life is because this is what we were created for. This is, whether you see it or not, the highlight of your week, where we as the people of God, gathering from various places across San Antonio, some outside of San Antonio, some further down south in San Antonio, northeast San Antonio, different neighborhoods, different housing areas, different school districts coming together to worship the Lord. Before the Israelites had conquered Jerusalem and gotten there. They had, as they were moving out of Egypt, they would have camped around the tabernacle. And when you read, you know, in the book of Exodus, it would have been everybody had a place, but in the center of the camp was the tabernacle, the place where God dwelt. And that's where all God's people were around. And that's why we are here. Whether we recognize it or not, we are unified as we gather around not our political affiliation, not our, our, our sports affiliations, not or whatever, but who God has called us to be in Christ. We worship God. We are doing what we were always meant to be doing. When life starts to weigh us down or when it just outright crushes us as Christians, we know we have an advocate with God, the Father, Jesus the Christ, who is our perfect remedy. The shed blood of Jesus on Calvary's cross covers all our mistakes, covers all of our disunity, all of the things that would try to separate us, things that would try to keep us from coming into the congregation Sunday after Sunday, the things that would keep us from gathering with our small group throughout the week, the things that would keep us from gathering with the Lord in our own private devotions. Christ has covered it and beckons us to come. We don't have to fear coming to God as it was so well stated with our confession of sin. It's not like God doesn't know what you've already done. When you're confessing to him, he already knows. It's already been covered. It's already been taken care of. Like a loving heavenly father, he calls us to acknowledge our sin and to receive the grace that has already been purchased for us. To receive the cleansing that has already been won for us by Christ on Calvary's cross. That precious truth will refresh no matter what the soul is burdened with. It will refresh. So we see that unity is pleasant. We see that unity refreshes. We see also that unity, that it blesses. Now, unity is hard to achieve because it is very easy to fall into an us versus them mentality. Very easy. Alexander Solzhenitsyn says, says uh, related uh, to this, he says, if only it were all so simple, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. 
but the, dividing, the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? Now, I'm sure as I read that, I'm reminded of the prayer that I prayed at the very beginning. Let the words of our mouth, my mouth, and the meditations of our hearts. It's the meditations of our hearts to be acceptable in God's eyes, right? When I said evil people somewhere, I'm sure your mind went to somebody. I'm positive because mine did. And the distance between the pulpit and the pew is not that great. We think the evil people are out there. We think somehow that we are better. We think somehow that we are the righteous ones. And we are the righteous ones, but because of the righteousness of Christ imputed to us, not because of anything that we say, think, or do, or positions that we hold. I hope that is clear. Solzhenitsyn asked, who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? As blood-bought citizens of heaven, we have to answer that and say, we are. We are the ones called to put to death the deeds of the flesh. We are the ones who have to count others more significant than ourselves. We are the ones who don't show partiality. We are the ones that bear with one another in love. We love one another. That's what it means to be in the kingdom of God because we are family because of what God has done for us through Christ. Notice at the end of verse three, God blesses. From there, the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Now, this is where this is going to get a little spicy, as you said. As Christians, we don't have to, nor will we ever vote the same way. God's not talking about a political unity. True Christians who both hope in Christ can and often do arrive at different policy solutions to solve the problems of the day. They do. We do. And then, because we live in a fallen world, those policy solutions have unintended consequences, second and third order effects that weren't seen by anybody. So then you have to come back to the table to come up with a new policy solution to solve that. God is not calling us to a political unity. Political unity can rarely be achieved. But if Jesus Christ died for you, then you are a Christian, which means you are my brother and my sister, no matter how you voted, no matter how you will vote. Let's make it more controversial. Whether you wear a mask or you don't wear a mask, whether you're for vaccine mandates or like Mel Gibson in Braveheart, you stand up and yell, freedom! We are family. Now, families can be difficult. I get it. And the reason they're difficult is because you, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. And, but, and because of that, you can't look down on one for whom Christ died. Christ died, shed that precious blood on Calvary's cross. Because see, if we get this wrong, it turns into an arms race. It turns into an arms race. Let me tell you what it means. When, when my wife and I were dating, went to a wedding. And this wedding was on the 13th of August, 2005, okay? And I remember that because it's also my sister-in-law's birthday, all right? And at this wedding, I was attacked. I am a combat vet. I served in Iraq. I, at this wedding, I was attacked not only for my service in Iraq by a certain family member, but also because I, you know, hold to covenant theology by somebody who had a different end times theology in the same wedding. And I'm supposed to marry into this family, Brothers and sisters, this is not good. We were not off to a good start. 
And so what ends up happening, this is where the arms race comes in. It says, oh, you're going to come at me like this? Okay. That's your one. That's your one. The next time I'm around you, all right, I'm stacking arms. I'm going to have all of my amillennial arguments, all right? So that dispensational theology, oh, yeah, we're going to go to work. We're going to go to work, and I'm going to cut this down any which way. Oh, you need justification for a war in Iraq? I will give you justification for a war in Iraq. Now, I'm not saying that's right. But if you're honest with yourself, we do that all the time where people become their view on an issue and we, they lose their humanity in who we see them. They become an old earth creationist or a young earth creationist. They become a mask mandate person or they become, you know, whatever the position. And I'm not saying you can't have positions. I'm not saying you can't have opinions. What I'm saying is that we need to hold to those opinions humbly. I wanted that passage from 1 Peter read. Why? Because it talks about elders and it talks about the people. And we are all called to humble ourselves. And what that means is we have to be careful about what you post on Facebook. You got to be careful about what you throw up on Instagram. All right? Because you may have, there may be an unintended consequence over how someone sees that. I'm not saying you got to work all that out, but pray before you tweet. Maybe, kind of, sort of. Ask the Lord, is this going to actually accomplish what I want it to accomplish or am I actually creating further division? Because we are family. And again, I don't know how that works out for each and every one of you. We each have to do the hard work of heart work to figure out those issues. But what I can say is that you cannot discount someone for whom Christ died because of a position they may hold that is different from yours. Because then eventually, if you do end up in an arms race, eventually the shooting does start. And I am fond of saying in the military, everybody wants a movement to contact until the shooting starts. Until the shooting starts. Because, well, as Sherman said, war is hell. And that's what happens. And there should be no war in here, at least not against each other. Not against each other. The only war that should be going on in here is as we war with our own flesh, war with our own sin. Humbly recognizing that, you know, my sins put Christ on the cross. Just as the church as the, in the old covenant, camped around the tabernacle. We camp around Christ. Christ brings all types of peoples together, which is why in Revelation 7, 7, you see every nation, tribe, and tongue called together at the end, worshiping the Lord in unity. You see, in Adam, we have unity. In Adam, we all die. That is our common heritage, thus producing a common need a savior. And Jesus is that savior. And the closer anyone gets to him, the closer they will be to others who are seeking him. That's why we have to have true unity in the church. What is true unity? True unity is being united to Christ. That's true unity. You'll see in the bulletin in the front, one of the quotations uh, from Shylin. Now, if you're not a, if you don't know who Shylin is, he's a Christian hip hop artist. 
And this comes from his song called Random Thoughts 3, where he says, like Boaz without Ruth is unity without truth. What he's talking about in that song is how there were some Christian hip-hop artists who, as they got popular, as they got a little worldly success in the world, said, wow, you really got skill and wanted to let them in. He says they, they crossed over without taking the cross over. And he says, if you want to reach the world, by all means, keep pursuing it. But tell me, why do you got to diss the church while you're doing it? Where, see, what, he, what he's talking about is what we often do sometimes, too, where we want to one-up each other and say, well, we're not like them. We're, we're better than them. And we're not like sometimes those fundamentalists. We're not like, you know, those, those other Christians. And we do this because we want the world to like us. But because we are connected to Jesus, the world is never going to like us. They may pat you on the back, but it is not shalom that they're giving you. All right? It's just the absence of hostility. That's not true peace. Christ won true peace for us. Listen to this from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to do what? To unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. We, as the church, right now, are a picture of what that looks like then. That's what we are. We are blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And in that, and in, that in Christ, all things in heaven and on earth will be unified. My brothers and sisters, that's true unity. That's attractional. That's refreshing. The world is hurting out there. They're looking for something different. Let them find that difference in here because the difference is Christ. And where else are they gonna find Christ except in Christ's church? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this challenging word. It's easy to come out of the mouth, but much harder to live. And so Lord, I pray not only for myself, but those who are under the sound of my voice that we would be humble in the positions that we hold, that we would be humble in how we deal, not just with the world outside, but with our brothers and sisters that are here. May we not, for the sake of winning an argument, discount, demean, or dehumanize those for whom Christ has died. And Lord, as we're engaging with the world around us, Lord, you've called us to preach the gospel, the results of which are up to you. Our job is to preach, to share the gospel. Your job is to convert. So even when we are conversing with our unbelieving friends and coworkers, Lord, we may be actually conversing with somebody who is going to come to believe. So Lord, may we be humble in how we go forth this day, in how we conduct ourselves and carry ourselves. 
In Jesus' name, amen.